Now, I mentioned if you were listening carefully last week, I may, may I show a quiz, no, I won't, um, that this week we were going to uh, minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that I, what I did not, what I forgot when I said that, because sometimes I'll say something in the middle of a message, and I didn't, remem- didn't remember that a week, Tony Cook is here next week, then the next week we have a baptism service. We're going to do something that we've never done here before, and other churches do this. We're going to do that service on a Sunday morning as part of our morning service. So what we're going to have next week is we're going to have the baptism tank filled with water, nice and warm, okay? We'll have people in the tank, and then we're going to have a camera that will project what's going on there on the screens here so that we can all be part of that and to share in that. To do that, I really felt that I needed to spend a whole message on water baptism and what it is and why we are to do it. And then I realized this week that I would not have that opportunity to do it in advance. And if I waited two weeks from now, it would be that day of the service. And the reason this is important is because what what I really feel in my heart is that you understand, if you've not been baptized, what it means. If you've never been baptized in water, that you understand if you're going to do this next week, and you should if you've not been baptized, what you're doing by being water baptized. For those of you, and I assume there are many of us, most of us have been been water baptized, it's a reminder, a refreshment, and maybe a little deeper understanding of what you did when you were water baptized. We were, uh, we've been raised in churches and gone to Bible school that really did not emphasize water baptism. We were taught that it was something we should do and we were baptized actually immersed in water out in, in, at our school. But it wasn't until a few years ago I was with one of my fellowships with some of the pastors and they were discussing some problem, lack of commitment that people were having and one of them mentioned, well, they forgot that they were baptized and something clicked in me. So you know what? I'm not sure I've really understood what I did when I was baptized. So I started doing a radical thing. I started going through the scriptures. It's amazing what you'll learn when you actually go through the scriptures and ask God to teach you. So I want to take you through some of the things that I saw this morning so that you can have a better understanding of what you did when you were baptized or if you've not been baptized, what, what, what it is and why it is important and what you will be doing when you are baptized. A little bit of background here. Uh, Water in the Bible has always represented some kind of cleansing. Uh, You may not realize it, but the earliest, earliest example of water baptism is in Genesis in the flood. Because in the flood, God used water to cleanse the sin of the world and wash it away, but he brought the one righteous family through that, through their being called to go into the ark, which represents Christ. And in the ark, they were saved from the judgment that was coming upon the world. So the very first example of it, the priests, when they were ordained into the ministry under the, in, into the, in the Old Testament tabernacle process, they were washed with water as representing a, a cleansing. Part of their ceremony was before that they could go into the inner chambers of the holy place and the holy of holies, ultimately where God's presence dwelt and where they would fellowship with him through the eating of the showbread. Before they could enter it, they had to, go, they had to be wa- wash their hands and their feet 
in a bowl called the laver, which was a washing of water. And, and so it's, this process was referred to and used in the Old Testament, and it was used, it really culminated in John the Baptist. And John the Baptist calls what he said, what I baptize with you, the baptism of repentance. So baptism, when we get into the New Testament, is something that has been, was being done, it was practiced, and it represented a repentance, it represented a washing away of the sins, but all it did is physically wash away the sweat and the grime and the dirt that was on their bodies, it accomplished no change in them. But as the new covenant was introduced by Christ, a new significance and a greater depth was given to baptism. And so this is what we want to begin to talk about. What is its importance to us? Well, Matthew chapter 28, this last, we're going to look at Matthew, what's called the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them. He's been raised from the dead, He's walked among them for a period of time and he's about to be ascended into heaven. These are his last physical words to them before he's ascended into heaven to his disciples. Jesus came and spoke to them, the disciples, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, for, go ahead. Go therefore, and this is the commission of the church, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. So that's part of making a disciple because that's a participle. Part of making a disciple is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now go over to Mark chapter 16. And he said to them, this is another version of the same conversation, go unto all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Read it, go ahead, another one. And Peter... No, no, okay, stop there. Okay, so the Great Commission ultimately is this. It's to go and preach the gospel and make disciples, followers of all nations. And then in part of the process of making them disciples is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're commanded to be baptized. We're commanded to be baptized. But here's the problem. It's become a religious ceremony. It's just kind of something that we do. Many of you were raised in a church where you were baptized at a, at, at a, as an infant, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. I was baptized as an infant with some sprinkling. I wasn't raised a Catholic, but the denomination I was raised in, was we were, we were sprinkled. And so, when, as a child... And so, so you were raised with that, and it becomes a religious tradition. And so many of us may not even look back on when we were baptized. Many of you may not remember when you were baptized. Those of you who were baptized as an adult. And my concern has become, it's kind of become sort of that here. It's just something we do on a Saturday afternoon, and a handful of people show up, to kind of appreciate and be part of it, but by and large, it's just something that's in our schedule to do a few times a year, but it's really just a good thing to do. And that's not what Jesus taught. You see, in the New Testament, in the early New Testament, there was a sense of urgency that they had. We're going to look at a little bit of that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. This is the end of Peter's great first sermon. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Peter denied him. We know the whole story. 
And now the first thing Jesus tells them to do, which we'll talk about in several weeks, Jesus told them before he told them to go, he told them to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And then what happened is we go into Acts chapter 2, there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it's spilled out in the streets. They didn't have to tell them to go out in the streets, it spilled out in the streets. They could not contain what the Spirit was doing. And then as a result of this, it attracted the whole city, came together, and they could not understand what was going on, and they accused them of being drunk because they were acting like they were drunk. They were uninhibited, they were full of joy, and the only, con- only conclusion that the other people could have was these guys must be drunk because it's in the morning and they're acting like they're drunk, but they weren't. They were under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that coming up in a few weeks. And so they, they come together and Peter stands up. This Peter who was so afraid to even admit he knew Christ and denied him three times once to a little servant girl, now stands up boldly to the very people that crucified Christ and boldly tells them what they've done. He quotes out of Joel chapter 2 and tells them what you see now is what has already been prophesied. This is the fulfillment of what God has ordained to happen. And then he tells them this one that God, the, Jesus Christ who you crucified is, was, is the Messiah and you have crucified the Son of God. And their response is, when they see the reality of what they've done, was, what must we do? You know you've repented when the first thought is, what do I have to do? Whatever, to tell me what to do. Not, I've got this process, I think this is what I need to get forgiven. You just tell me what to do. And that's what they did. And this is Peter's answer to them. Peter said, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, what you must do when you realize that you are a sinner is repent. Repent, go back to verse 38. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. Now the word remission, remit, means to take away. What they did in the Old Testament is they washed from the outside, but it didn't take away their sins. And what I'm going to show you that baptism doesn't take away your sins either. Baptism represents something that did take away your sins, which is what Christ did. Only Christ Jesus' sacrifice on that cross and your faith in it can take your sins away. But baptism is an integral part of receiving what Christ did for you. Let's go down to Acts chapter, the next one, Acts chapter 8, yeah. Now this is a story of, of the gospel's now been spread and it's now out there and you've got Philip, who by the way was not one of the apostles. Philip, excuse me, Philip, I'm sorry, Philip said, Philip has been on the road and he runs into uh, an Ethiopian eunuch who was the queen's servant and he's in a chariot. And Philip comes along beside him and finds out he's reading scripture out of Isaiah and he doesn't understand what it means. So he asks Philip, can you tell me what this means? And Philip shares with him that it's telling about Jesus, who's the Messiah, who was crucified and has been raised from the dead for the remission of your sins. And Philip says, and 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 the eunuch asks him, 
He said, oh, here, I'm, I'm telling you what it says. And so the eunuch asked Philip and said, I ask of you, of whom does this prophet th- say this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to them. This is what an evangelist does. He just preaches who Jesus is. And now as they went down the road, they came from some water and notice the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized. So somehow in his thinking, the very first thing that he knew he needed to do was to be baptized in water. So there was an urgency that they felt. So this baptism, this right, this, this, this of baptism was so important to them that they recognized that once they received Christ, there was an urgency, I need to do this, I've got to do this, I want to do this. Okay, and others through the histories of the church have seen this same urgency and seen the same importance. And this is what really began to struck me. Thousands of believers in the, old, in the, in the middle, middle Ages, thousands of believers in the early times of the church were literally tortured or martyred for their belief in baptism. The church of that day, the dominant church of that day, was the Roman Catholic Church, as it is predominantly around here. And they taught infant baptism, and what they taught was, because they believed that what the Scriptures taught is baptism saves you. So the urgency was, once a child is born, get him baptized so that we know he's saved and in the kingdom of God. And I believe even in their funerals now, they refer to that. And so once that gets established in your mind, it's like, okay, I'm saved, so I can do what I want to do because I was saved when I was an infant and I was sprinkled with blood, with, with blood, with blood, with water. Well, people began to read the Scriptures and began to realize that's not what the Bible says. And then they began to stand up for what baptism really is, and as a result, they were persecuted. Part of the great inquisition, it wasn't great, but the big huge inquisition was to get people to, re- these, to renounce their stand on baptism. Literally, the Anabaptists were tortured and martyred so that they, they were tortured to give up their stance on baptism and they were willing to give their lives for their belief in what baptism was. We've had a very personal story told here. But the Christopher Alam has come here. He's come here a number of times. And he's going to come back again, I believe. And he's, one of the first times he was here, Pastor Sam Smucker, whom you know is, is his church that he is, is his home church in that wonderful church in Lancaster, the worship center. And Sam contacted him, Pastor Sam contacted him ahead of time and said, please preach your message on why I preach the gospel. And one of the reasons of why he preaches the gospel has to do with baptism. Those of you who remember, Christopher Alam was raised a Muslim. His father was a, was a full colonel, I think, in the Pakistani army. And then Christopher was an officer, and then he gets saved by a, by a young man handing out tracts in the street. Just shows you what... He's over now, in, in, again, back in... Right now, Christopher's back in East Africa with great revivals in, in Mozambique and Tanzania and doing great work down there. Thousands upon thousands are being healed and saved. But it's start by one young man who took the gospel to the street just handing out tracts. But after he gets saved, he gets arrested. He tells a whole story about this. And God brought him supernaturally out of that prison. 
and he met, he would try, now he wanted to get baptized, but he couldn't find anyone to baptize him because in their faith in that country, if you baptize a Christian, they'll kill you. And a Baptist minister from the United States found out about this and went up to Christopher and said, I'll baptize you at the risk of his life. And he did baptize Christopher. And it cost him his life. He was murdered for baptizing Christopher. He was willing to give his life up so that this young man could be baptized in water. When I hear stories about this and I read these stories in, in, in the history of people there's something they saw in baptism that I didn't see. There's something they saw in baptism that most of the modern church in the United States doesn't see. When I run across something like that, I want to know, God, what do they see that I don't see? What am I missing that they're understanding? Because I, I don't want a veil to hide anything from me that hides me and keeps me from being more close to you and more intimate with you. So I'm going to share with you some of what I've learned by what I go through. So let's, let's, um, let's first of all talk about what, what baptism, what does it mean? What is it? Well, baptize is not really an English word. It's a Greek word, baptizo. And with the way my mind works, I had to go back and find out what's the real root of that word. It was very interesting to find out that that word root, the word baptizo, baptizo literally means to immerse in and soak in S-O-A-K in it was a term that was developed out of the process of dyeing linen cloth and the process of dyeing linen is you take white linen with the fabric and, the, and, 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 and you would lower it down into the red dye or the blue dye and what would happen is when you would lower it down immerse it into that dye the dye, the color of that red dye or that blue dye would now be absorbed into the fibers of that linen cloth and forever change the way it appeared and forever change its nature. It was still linen, but it now had all the characteristics of that dye. The two became one. So the word baptize literally means to be immersed in to the point that you receive what you're immersed in and become one with that. It was, speaks of union. And so in the New Testament, there are times when, when it's referred to as that very thing, making one. Matthew 3.11, they're not going to put it up there. John the Baptist said, Baptist said there's coming one, I will baptize, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one, Jesus, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, he's not going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit. He's talking about that you're going to be absorbed the Holy Spirit into you where you will become one with the Holy Spirit. Mark 10, 22, uh, the, John and, and James with their ambition fired by their mother, inflamed by their mother, said, uh, pulled Jesus aside and said, um, uh, Lord, uh, when you get there in heaven, actually in one count, the mother comes to him. I love it. It says the, 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 the mother of Zebedee's. It doesn't even refer to their names. It says Mama. Mama comes to Jesus and asks that when they get to heaven, can one of them sit on the right hand and one sit on the left hand? And I, I don't know how they were going to choose which one was which, because the right hand is more exalted. But anyway, Jesus' answer was not to say no. 
he turns to the boys and said, are you able, are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am going to go through? In other words, are you going to be able to, you're going to go through experience what it is that I'm going to go through. And he uses the word baptize in that context. Paul, and we'll see a little later on this morning, Paul uses it when he refers to being joined into Christ, into his body. Now, in the church, of course, as we're very good at doing, we're, we're able to find something like this and create disputes and disagreements over it. So there's disputes in the church about whether you should be sprinkled or whether you should be dunked. Okay, I, and, and I'm, I'm not here to tell you categorically that one is right and one is wrong. What I can tell you is what I believe the scriptures say. And I believe since the word baptize means immersed, that that's what we should do. And so that's what we practice here. We practice baptism by immersion in water. You will get wet all over. All right? But you will come up. We've never lost anybody, and we're not going to lose you. All right. Now, then there's the issue. Should we baptize? Can you, is it okay if you're baptized as an infant? Or do you have to be an adult or a child? At what age should you be baptized? Well, if baptism is a, what we're going to learn in a few minutes, if baptism is a recognition of a commitment that you've made, then it would seem to me you have to understand what that commitment is, which is why I'm taking a whole morning to explain to you what that commitment is. And at the age of six weeks, six months, I don't believe personally, that that child's able to make that commitment, nor do I believe that the parents can make that commitment for the child, which is why we do not practice infant baptism here. Now, some of you right now, I can hear you. Well, I was sprinkled as a child in my church. Does that mean I was baptized or not? I will let you draw your own conclusions. Let us finish our discussion this morning as I tread where angels fear to tread praise the Lord okay a bigger issue is whether or not water baptism saves you I did a a, a Christmas message one time just sitting down in my office for Catch the Truth and I talked about a scripture I'm going to show you in a minute oh I've got to move along show you in a minute and the scripture was out of John chapter 3 where Jesus where Jesus says let's see if I can find it here yeah unless a man is born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God kingdom of heaven and I was had somebody write to me email me regularly that I was misleading people so that they were not going to be saved because you have to be baptized in order to be saved. You've got to read context. Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking about what we've been talking about for several weeks now, the distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And he said, you man must be born again a second time, and it also means from above. And then he tells Nicodemus, he said, unless, and Nicodemus says, how can a man get back in his mother's womb? So Nicodemus is trying to understand physical birth. How can I be physically born again? And Jesus said, no, unless a man is born of the Spirit and of water. So the water he's referring to there is not the water of baptism, it's the water of your mother's womb. 
He's referring to a physical birth and a spiritual birth. But that verse is often referred to. I'll refer to another one. Again, I'm not going to get into a dispute here. If you disagree with me, you're entitled to your view. And I'm not going to argue with you. In, um, let's go back, Mark chapter 16. Jesus, we read it earlier. Jesus says, believe and be baptized to be saved. But it's interesting. In the next part of the verse where he says, and if you... And those who do not believe will be condemned. He doesn't say, and those who do not believe and are not baptized will be condemned. Put, put verse 15 up. He said, Go and all preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16. That's right. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But they stop there. Now he's going to say the reverse. And he who does not believe will be condemned. Well, my reading of that is that if baptism was necessary for salvation, then it would have been put in there and is, who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned. But he just not, this is my lawyer reading of a, of a, of a document. But I believe it's correct. Not only that, it's contrary to all of the teachings of Paul. We're saved by faith and the completed work of Christ Jesus, and not by any works, any outward things we do. The outward things we do are a reflection of the inward commitment that we have made. All right, so I've got to move along here. If I've created an issue for you, I'm apologize. You can email Pastor Ray and let him know. <laughs> He's not here this morning, so... Uh, I just want to quickly go through some things because I want to get to the heart because we only got a little time left. What it's not, it's not a religious ceremony that you're expected to go through. According to the scriptures, it's not optional. It's not how we're saved, although we just talked about some believe that. And there are many other issues we could look at, but for what I, we want to say this morning, it's not important. The real purpose of baptism is to represent, listen carefully, the real purpose of baptism is to represent to you and to the world what happened to you when you received Christ. It's called a sacrament. Now, some of you came from churches where there were a number of sacraments, but there are only two that Jesus calls. One is Holy Communion, and the other is Water Baptism. And what a sacrament is, it is an outward action that is to communicate to your senses and to those that can see something, an inward grace, something that has been done already on the inside of you. It's an outward example of that. And so, that's what it is. So you did not, you do not join the church by being baptized. You're not saved from going to hell by being baptized. You were literally joined to Christ, and that's what you're representing. And you were joined with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And here's what you're saying by water baptism. It's a physical act that represents your statement to the world of what's been done on the inside of you. And this is what you're saying. I've died to who I was before, and I've died to my rights, to myself. Remember what Jesus said? If you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. Not deny who you are. Deny yourself. Deny self the right to rule you and control you. You're saying, I've died to this world, its systems and its ways. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. 
Therefore, it's no longer I who live. He said, through the cross, I've been crucified to the world, and the world's been crucified to me. You're saying, I, ha- I have died to sin. You're saying, I have been joined to Christ. My relationship with everything and everyone is now only through Him. And because I'm now joined to Christ, I'm now joined to everyone else who's joined to Christ. And that's your people on the left and your right. It's a public statement that should have an impact on how I live and who my life belongs to. The best example I can think of this is a marriage ceremony. Fifty-four years ago this last July, Anita and I stood before, we were, we were in Ohio, we went out to the same church and looked at the same church. We stood before a minister and we made vows to each other and to God before him. I was 21 years old and she was 22 years old and neither of us were Christians and I don't know about her, I had no clue what I was doing. And it took me the next 10 years to begin to dawn on me what I did that July 22nd, 1967. But just because I didn't understand it all didn't release me from the commitment that I had made to her. And the commitment that I made to her is now, before that day, I could look at any other woman and I could pursue any other woman that might be interested in me, which would probably be very few at that time. Even fewer now. But once I said my vows to her, I had made a life commitment of union to her that immediately separates me from every other person. Even our own children, as much as I love them. We have a relationship that's different, listen parents, to the relationship we have with our children. We made a vow to make us one in God's sight. Now the challenge is learning to live that union out. But it's a union that has held us together. It's a commitment that's held us together through hell and high water. <laughs> it was, and this is what people don't understand. Well, we're just living together. You won't make it. Because you've not made an outward sign of the commitment that you say you've made. I had a brother that was a half-brother, a stepbrother, that we were visiting one time, and he'd been living with this girl for a while, and wonderful lady. And he pulled me aside one time, he says, he used a nickname, I won't tell you what it is. He says, why did you and Anita get married? And I said, for the same reason that you and she haven't gotten married. We knew we needed to make a commitment for this to last and you were not willing to make that commitment and it didn't last. But it's the same commitment you make to Christ. You give yourself to Him. He's already given yourself to Him. Now here's what happens in a marriage usually. The wife understands that. Edwin Lewis Cole used to have this, uh, this expression. He said, most young husbands want to live a married single's life. What they want is a, is a relationship. What they want is the benefits of marriage. 
Somebody cleans my clothes. Somebody cooks supper for me when I come to home. And somebody ministers to me physically, legally, and now before God's eyes. But I still got my friends. I, I'm not going to change how I live my life just because I'm married now. You don't understand marriage. You don't understand what you did. When you made that, you made a commitment of your life to her no matter what until death do us part. But see, that's what you do to Christ when you receive Him. And this is the concern we have is that people just say a prayer and say, well, I did that, so now I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I can go and live my life the way I love. And the message of grace that's out there, very scriptural, very important, but the matter, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you want a book that'll clean your clock, it'll change your life, but you've got to have spiritual... Mm, to read it. It's a book called The Cost of Discipleship. Jesus didn't mince words. When he called them, he told them, count the cost. Because here's what I've called you to do. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. And Bonhoeffer uses the term cheap grace. And he says, what's happened in the church, and this was back in the 40s, but it's even more so now, the church teaches you that you were saved from your sin. And that's not what the scriptures say. He draws the distinction. The church thinks that God saved us, from our, saved us in our sins. No, he saved you. But he didn't save the sin. There has to be a separation from the sin. So when you are baptized, when you come to Christ, you're making a commitment to Him. He's made a commitment to you. But you're not just getting into the kingdom of God by saying, Oh, Jesus, I accept you as Lord and Savior. You're making a commitment to Him like I made to her 54 years ago. I made it 43 years ago. And I'm still learning how to live it out. But I never change. And see, the wonderful thing about God is he'll, he'll take you at your word even though you don't know what you're saying. As long as you're willing to grow in that and learn from that. Philippians 2.13, For God is at work in you, both the will and to do His good pleasure. I love that verse. But there's a part before it. Therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Jesus makes an amazing promise to His disciples in His last meeting with them. He said, if you abide in Me, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. He said, elsewhere you can take My name but whatever you ask in My name, that I will do. And then He goes to the next verse and says, and if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, I've made a commitment to you to live out myself totally for you, that whatever you need, I'm there to help you and enable you. Now, you've made a commitment to me that whatever I command you, you're willing to do. So baptism, let's go to, to, to uh, Romans chapter 6. Quickly. The background here is Paul has been teaching about grace. The wonderful gift of grace. 
And now it raises this question. Paul says, what shall I say then? Shall I continue in sin that grace may abound? That's kind of where the church is today. Well, we have grace. We're children of grace. So I can just live, I can live with this woman even though I'm not married to her. Because hmm. God loves me. And there's grace. Certainly then you don't understand the decision and commitment that you made. Certainly not. How shall we, look at what he says about us. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He's not talking about living a perfect sinless life. He's talking about the commitment that you made regarding sin. Or do you not know? He's talking about what they have done. He's talking to Christians that have been baptized and he's explaining to them what they did when they were baptized. Or don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? I was meditating on this one day and suddenly the the meaning of this hit me. We were 22 and 21. I won't tell you which was which. I will tell you she was more mature. When she married me, she thought she was getting what she could see, which was a, <laughs> which was a young, handsome, baby-faced student at, the, at some northeastern school who had a career ahead in law. And she just thought, and, 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 you know, she was raised in the Midwest. I was from up here. I was supposed to be sophisticated. And that's all the things she could see. What she didn't realize is when she married me, she didn't just marry what she could see. She married everything that had been put into me, everything that had been done to me, every attitude I had, every debt. I, I didn't have debts, but everything that had been done to me, she, had, she, was, she was not just marrying she was marrying the baggage, the emotional baggage, the emotional hurt, the insecurities that came along with... So when two become one, everything they've ever been through is now yours. Now listen carefully. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Christ that you were joined to died to sin. And if you were baptized into Him, then the real you has died to sin. Now, living that death out is a daily battle and a daily decision. But most Christians don't realize I have made a commitment to die to sin. We're not going to have time to go there because he says, no longer let sin have dominion over you. Consider yourself as dead to sin. 
I set myself on this every morning that this is... See, Paul's not saying this is something you have to go do in your own strength. This is who you are. You made a commitment to Christ, but He's made a commitment to you. So just as His death to sin is yours because you've been joined to Him, so His victory over sin is yours because you've been joined to Him. But you can't have one without the other. That's trying to live married single. I want the forgiveness and the grace and the strength, but I don't want to have to resist sin. Well, sin is, you know, I'm just overcome by it. I'm so weak. Then get saved. No. Wake up to what you did when you received Christ. This is why we don't want any more just quickly lead somebody through a prayer because they don't know what they're doing. You can't possibly understand what you're doing, but you do need to know you're making a commitment of your life to Christ as He's made a commitment of His life to you. And it's serious. And baptism is the outward evidence, your demonstration, just as that marriage seminar, marriage sem- ceremony, it's time to end, marriage ceremony was an outward thing we can look back on 54 years later and say, oh, because we've had times when we've slipped. We've forgotten we may not have always walked in love with one another. She always does. But we can come something to go back to, to hold us together to this commitment to one another. And that's what you did when you gave, listen to what you said, you gave your life to Christ. Those words roll off our tongue all too easily. You gave your life to Christ. That means you gave dominion over sin to Him. You begin to walk that out and some of you are going to find you have victory over things you've tried to fight in your own strength your whole life. So we're going to, in two weeks, have a water baptism service. I want you to know ahead of time what you're doing by doing so. I don't want to scare you, but it's a serious commitment that you're making. But when you gave your life to Christ, you've already, you've already made the commitment. Now you need to understand what it was. I've met very few young bridegrooms who understood what they did. They've had to learn as they've gone along. And that's true in our walk with the Lord. For those of you that have been baptized in water, and know you were, you were aware that you were. You don't need to be baptized again. Just like if you've been married and you've been having a rough time with marriage and you're not been, you've, not been, you've been living a singles married life, you don't have to go through a ceremony again. You just need to start living out the commitment that you've made. So if you've been water baptized, you just have to start living. Go through Romans 6 on a regular basis. Just slowly go through and let the Holy... Because he's talking to Christians about what they've already done. 
and he's calling them to account to begin to live out the commitment that you made because if you're asking if you're saying well we have grace let's sin so the grace abounds then you don't understand the commitment that you made for those of you that were sprinkled as a child but you've not been water baptized since then I'll leave it to you to decide but I can tell you what I did I believe since this was a commitment I had to make it myself before God and so I would encourage you to do the same thing but the absolute foundation into this the very first step before you consider baptism is you must have given your life to Christ so I want to talk for just a moment to those of you that may be here or those of you that are watching online Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that in order to enter the kingdom of heaven it's interesting that's not the question Nicodemus asked but it's the question it's the question of all questions it's the issue of all issues which is this where are you going to spend eternity we sang a song earlier I am a child of God but that song is not addressed to the world if you're if you're born into this world and you're not watching if you weren't but you've never given your life to Christ you're not a child of God you're a creation of God God loves you but you're not his child you become a child by being born into the family and Jesus said in order to enter the kingdom of God that's heaven you must be born a second time the first birth is the birth into this world that's the birth that your mother and your father gave you but in order to enter the kingdom of heaven you must be born a second time and that's a spiritual birth that's the man on the inside of you it has to be a new creation it's not God cleaning you up, God changing you. You've probably tried that. It's God coming in and taking out your old nature and putting his own nature in you. That's how you become his child. Jesus has already paid the price so that you can do that today. And he says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open your heart, my Father and I will come in and live in you bring our joy, our peace, our victory to you and give you an assurance that when you breathe your last breath and close your eyes the last time you will pass from this life into heaven into the presence of Almighty God you have Jesus' promise for that that's what he's offering you today but you have to take a step of faith to receive that I'm going to lead you in just a moment in a prayer and you don't have to understand all of this it's a decision that you're making with my heart I want that I want that assurance and I realize because what I've heard today is I have to give my life over to him I may be afraid to do that but I'm willing to be willing I'm willing to open my heart and then follow him as he leads me and directs me and we'll provide ways to help you with that if that's you this morning and you're watching online or you're watching you're here with us this morning I want to lead you in a very simple prayer to help you to do this. You don't need to kneel or stand right, right where you are. Just mean it as best you can. 
And I'm going to ask everybody to join me in this prayer, and then I want to give you a little bit of instruction. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, and everything I ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now with the good and the bad. And I take my life and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your Spirit that I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. If you prayed that with me for the first time...